Uh, it'll be Philippians chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 3 through 11. So if you want to follow along with me in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning. We're grateful for just all the blessings that you give us, whether it's the beautiful skies that we have, it's the beautiful earth, or just the community that we have as fellow believers to be able to come here to worship. We pray now, Lord, for this service that we have here today. We pray for our brother Brian as he brings your message. We just pray that your words will speak through him. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tom, for reading our text today for us here out of Philippians. We're continuing our series here, Living as Members of Gospel Community, in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, and hopefully um, with one sermon in, it's already been an encouragement to you, it's my hope, as we looked at verses 1 and 2 last week, and we saw the different roles and responsibilities uh, the church, and uh, both uh, locally and universally are called uh, to and living out gospel community. And uh, so today we're going to continue on in our study here in Philippians, this next section here. And uh, the main point of this section, well, the, the title of this section, let's go there first. The title of the sermon is The Fellowship of Living as Members of Gospel Community. The Fellowship of Living as Members of Gospel Community. And today we're going to be looking at this idea of fellowship, this relationship uh, that we have with one another um, because of the work of the gospel, because we are members one another in the gospel. And so we see that in, in really two words here that help us see Paul's view of his relationship with the church at Philippi, and in turn, um, how they were meant to see themselves in relationship with him in this, in this fellowship, in this community together with him, and in turn, um, as God has given us His Word, uh, not just uh, to Paul to write to the, the Philippian church, but also for us to gain uh, his understanding of Him and knowledge of Him and how we are meant to live. Uh, this, is a, this is a fellowship that He desires us to be in as well. And the two words here are partnership and partakers. And so we're going to look at those ideas here today. As you see in the main point, all members should be partners in the gospel because they are partakers of grace. All members should be partners in the gospel because they are partakers 
of grace. And so this is our desire to kind of unpack this today. And so I've got uh, three questions to uh, ask of the text and seek to answer. Um, and then we'll try to connect it to everyday life with another set of questions as well. Before we do that, would you uh, go with me to the Lord in prayer? Father God, the great I am. We acknowledge and confess that all things come from You. Life, breath, happiness, advancement, our sight, our touch, our hearing, goodness, truth, beauty, all that makes existence amiable. In the spiritual world, also we are dependent entirely upon You. Give us grace, therefore, to know more of our need of grace. Our need of You. Today, reveal to us our sinfulness that we may willingly confess it. Reveal to us our weakness that we may know our strength is in You. We thank You for any sign of penitence in our heart, of confession, Give us more of it, for our sins are black and deep. They rise from a stony, proud, self-righteous heart. So help us to confess them with mourning and regret, with self-loathing, with no pretense to merit or excuse. Help us to realize that we need healing. Your healing. Healing from the good physician. And here, within each of us, resides the opportunity for You to come and manifest Your power. Manifest Your healing power in us. We need faith. You have given to us, maintained and strengthened and increase it, this faith we are so blessed with, so undeserving of. Center our faith upon our Savior's work. Upon Your majesty, Father. Upon the operations of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Work in us now that we may never doubt You as the truthful, mighty, faithful God. As we open Your Word, Work in us now that we may never doubt You are the truthful, mighty, faithful God. It is You who can bring our hearts to You full of love, gratitude, hope, and joy so that we might lay at Your feet the fruits grown in Your garden and love You with a passion that can never be cooled Believe in You with a confidence that can never stagger. Hope in You with an expectation that can never be dimmed. Delight in You with a rejoicing that cannot be stifled. Glorify You with the highest of our powers. Burning, blazing, glowing, radiating as from Your own glory. That is what we have to give. The glory we offer is the glory You work in us. 
we are yours, your church. We come today humble and contrite, and yet restored and renewed and empowered by your work. So bless your people, not just those who meet here at New Life Church in Lubumbashi, or as they meet today. We pray that you would give grace. Pray for gospel hope. As they meet today, Atlanta, you would give grace. That all your church gathered through across the world might proclaim their dependence on you and find in casting themselves on you in dependence and resting on you and putting their faith and hope and trust in you find that you are sufficient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to this text, we are confronted by um, these two aspects of fellowship, this partnership and these partakers. And we see the partnership there in verse 5, because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now, and then we see partakers of grace in, uh, in verse 7. For you are all partakers with me of grace. And really we're going to start with the second one and then come back to the first one because the second one is really the foundation and the motivation for the second one. And so our first question this morning is this. How are members partakers of grace? How are members of gospel community partakers of grace. And again, just as a reminder, when I'm talking about members, I'm not just talking about members of Gospel Life Church, although I hope that this membership that I'm talking about includes all the members of Gospel Life Church. But it's beyond that. This is the, this is the membership of all of God's people within gospel, His Gospel community. This is the invisible church. This is all of God's people from all time past, present, and future, across all of the universe, all His people are a part of this membership. So how are these members partakers of grace? And to some degree, we're basically saying, how do they become members? Because being partakers of grace is what actually brings us into this membership. And the answer is this, members partake of grace when God begins His work in them. Members are partakers of grace when God begins His work in them. Notice the argument here that Paul presents. He presents in verse 6 that he is sure or confident of something very great that ultimately leads him to proclaim that they are all partakers of this great uh, this grace. And what does he say that he's confident? That he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of Grace. There's this connection between them being partakers of grace and He beginning a work in Him. And that He is 
God Himself. We go back to verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. Grace is the work of God. And that shouldn't be very surprising to us. I'm sure you're not very surprised by me preaching that here in our church because we have preached that many, many times. Grace is the work of God. It's undeserved favor. It would make no sense that grace would be something we would work for or something we would earn because then it would cease to be grace. I mean, Paul makes this argument in some of his writings that it would cease to be grace if we worked for it. It would cease to be grace if we earned it. The reason it is grace is because it's something given to us that we did not deserve and we did not earn. And our text here tells us it is a work begun by God. We cannot get around this. Biblically, God's people never save themselves. Never become good enough to merit God's favor of eternal life in granting them repentance from their sins and a stay of the execution of His wrath upon us. We, we never can achieve that in and of ourselves. And more than that, we never even add anything to the achieving of that. Rather, this is a good work that is begun wholly and alone by God Himself. And it's because of this very reason that Paul is able to have confidence that the work will be completed. That the work will actually finalize at the day of Jesus Christ because God is the one who begins this work. And He is the one who works this grace. So, so what are they then? They're partakers. They, they're receivers of grace. We're partakers together. We're all partakers. This relationship, this fellowship. And in fact, this word could be, uh, could be translated as receivers of grace. We partake of it. We're given it. It's not of ourselves. So we have this grace, this glorious good grace given to us by God Himself. Maybe a follow-up question would be, why would God do such a thing? Why would God demonstrate His grace towards us in such a way? Why why would God, what about us, let's say? What about us? Could cause God to, to show us favor? Well, we're already going, starting to go down the wrong road when we begin to say, what about us, right? Because if, it's, if there's something about us that is worthy of it, then it would, to some degree, be deserved grace. The point of grace is that it is undeserved. There is nothing about us that is worthy of this grace. Nothing at all. And it's so important for us to begin to wrap our minds around that reality that there is 
There is nothing that we did. There is no worth within us that would cause God to be motivated. This is because of God Himself and His desire to demonstrate grace and His desire to demonstrate His love towards us. And it's so important that we wrap our minds around it because that's what then motivates and is the foundation for us actually being partners in the Gospel work. Because if we begin to think that there was somehow something within us, some worth within us, God somehow needed us. Then we, then we don't have then the same motivation to give ourselves to the Gospel. In fact, that's what we even see here. That, that there's this surety in Paul's mind of their commitment to this Gospel partnership because they are partners partakers of this grace. And in doing so, and being partakers of this grace, it leads to what this grace produces, which is the second question. What does partaking of grace produce? And we see here in this text some things that, that Paul has already seen. A product that has already been seen in the lives of the church at Philippi. But then in turn, he prays for more fruit to be produced. So what does partaking of grace produce? Well, members having partaken of God's effective grace, the gospel-worthy change of life produced in them. Having partaken of God's effective grace, the gospel-worthy change of life produced in them. I use that word effective. I didn't use that word before. Why is it effective? Because God does the work He intends to do. And that's what it says. He who began a good work will what? Will bring it to completion. If God starts the work, if God pours out His his saving grace upon a person, it will be effective. It will save them. And in turn, obviously having saved them, what will it do? It will change them. Because when God does a work, He does it effectively. It will produce what He plans for it to produce. I mean, who among us can actually change the plans of God? None of us. No one. God's plans stand. And therefore, His works will accomplish their purpose. And that's why this grace is effective. Because it will accomplish the purpose. And what is its purpose? For gospel-worthy change of life to be produced in us. In each of the members of his gospel community, this gospel worthy change of life will be produced. And will, will it be perfect in this life? No, we know it won't. We, the sin nature still resides in us. The scriptures tell us this that while God has conquered, conquered sin, broken his chains, yet God in his wisdom has allowed the sin nature to remain in us while we live on this earth, even as part of His people, members of His gospel community. He allows sin to remain in us. And that's partly why, you know, the prayer that I prayed before, what, is, what was a bunch of it was confession, right? <laughs> to understand the depths and the darkness of our own sinfulness. 
but to understand that the Gospel has come to conquer that darkness and that doubt. But just as I prayed that it is God who is truthful, mighty, and faithful to bring about our heart, uh, heart change, that it would be full of love and gratitude, hope and joy, and that the fruits grown in His garden would be manifest in our lives. And that's what Paul sees here in the lives of the Philippian church. First of all, he writes about how partakers of grace react to persecution. They are partakers with them of grace and are demonstrated both in his imprisonment and their support of him, his defense and confirmation of the gospel, again, in which they supported him. In fact, we're going to get into this text further and we're going to see he's in prison and currently and in chains, but God is allowing him to preach the gospel even in his chains. And yet there's some who are ashamed of Paul or preach against Paul because he's in prison for the gospel. And Paul's response is, well, at least the gospel is being preached. You know, as long as they keep preaching the gospel faithfully, they can, be, uh, they can be against me all they want as long as they preach the gospel faithfully. Verse 15, you see that. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I was put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Like if they run my name through the mud, let them run it as long as they proclaim Christ. Who am I? And yet he's very grateful for what he sees as those who do their preaching out of love, knowing that Paul was put there for the defense of the gospel. He's in prison the defense of the gospel. And this is what we see this is, is his, his understanding of the church at Philippi. They stand with Paul even while he's in prison. And even while he is being persecuted for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And in his mind, these are clearly partakers of grace if they are willing to stand with me. Because what happens with you when you stand with somebody who's persecuted for the sake of the gospel? One, you show how important the gospel is, right? To you. But you also show how unimportant your own persecution may be because of how great the gospel is, right? I mean, these are, these are like the people in Hebrews who are willing to lose all their possessions so that may, they might care for their brothers and sisters who are in prison. I mean, that's what you have here. You have people who are willing to love, love both, both the gospel and the, 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 the one standing in defense and confirmation of the gospel, even at their own expense. And in Paul's mind, this is a product of being partakers of God's effective grace. This is not natural to us. 
it's not natural for us to give ourselves for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of God's people. This is a product of God's grace. But not only that, what else do we see? He says in verse 9, For it is my prayer that, you may, that your love may abound more and more. One of the, the life change that is produced is that love would abound more and more. Now, he doesn't qualify this necessarily, but I think we can understand from the rest of Scripture, the rest of Paul's writing, that there are layers of this. That their love is meant to be uh, expressed and seen uh, first and foremost to the brothers and sisters in Christ. That that this love, they be known by their love for one another as Jesus preached. And so Paul says that we should first and foremost love our brothers as well. But then that love is meant to overflow. It's not meant to bypass love for the brothers and sisters, but rather as we love one another, that love then is meant to overflow into those who are around us, into our community, into our neighborhoods, into our workplace and our school, that our love for others is meant to be evident and to be seen. As we love, encourage, and strengthen one another, we then are able to reach out and share the Gospel and give out the Gospel to those around us. His desire is not that you may have experienced this love and express this love at one point in time or express this love in one singular way and then you're done. Hey, I did my part. What does he say? Your love may abound more and more. You're not satisfied with the expression of love you gave last week, but you coming today to be an expression of love to your brothers and sisters again. And you're not just satisfied with the, with the way you expressed love last week, but you're coming together to God's people to express love in a greater way, in a greater sense. You're abounding more and more. That love is not just some kind of like uh, abstract expression. Oh, just love each other, everybody. Right? Because then he goes on to say, "What your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment." We're meant to grow in knowledge, and in growing in knowledge, it shouldn't make us puffed up. That's the danger sometimes of knowledge. We get more knowledge and then we feel like we know more than you. You know, what's knowledge meant to help us do? Abound more and more in love. The knowledge allows us to discern the best ways to love other people. And unfortunately, you know, there, there, there is a, a, a tendency on our part to bend and distort things that can be helpful, and so we have to be careful. Um, there are, there are ways in which uh, people uh, experience love. And unfortunately, sometimes when we walk down the road, we begin to learn how we like to experience love. And then it's always, 
a demand that everybody love me a certain way, and that's not really helpful at all. That's selfish. Rather, in our discernment here, what are we doing? We're discerning how other people experience love or need to be shown love or need to be shown care or need to be helped. We're discerning the best way to care for them, and sometimes it's coming alongside and giving an encouraging word and saying, you can do it. God has given you the strength and you can fight in this area and you can stand in this area and, and you don't have to fall apart and you don't have to give in to the discouraging thoughts and the, the, uh, the, the, the struggles that you have there. Or sometimes we discern that the most loving thing to say is stop sinning. Stop doing that. Sometimes it's confrontation but it's speaking the truth in love, right? With our knowledge and with all discernment, we are meant to understand more and more how we can best love one another, how we can then best love those in our communities, outside of church, uh, in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces, and our schools. Our love is meant to abound more and more. And he goes on to say, so that you may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And our love, as we grow in knowledge and discernment, allows us then to love in such a way, you say this, to love in a Christian way. You see, in our culture, love means let everybody do whatever they want. Let everybody be however they want, let everybody, and, and, and don't confront them about anything that might be harmful to them because that's not loving, that's hate. But what we see in the text here is that as we gain knowledge and discernment, the most loving thing that any person can do, but especially a Christian, is to approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. To affirm God's way is the best way. The most loving thing is to not let you do whatever you want. Or not affirm you doing whatever you want. Because oftentimes we can't stop people from doing whatever they want. But they want us to now affirm them doing whatever they want. But that's not what we can do. We must approve of what is actually excellent. Of what is actually truly godly of what God describes as pure and blameless. That's what we, miss, we must approve of. That's what our love must affirm. Now, when someone chooses to live in a certain lifestyle, I think what's being described here is that we lovingly speak the truth. But that doesn't mean after we speak it and they don't change, we don't stop loving them. Continue to love. We continue to speak truth. We continue to take up all the opportunities we can to declare to them the glorious goodness of God and His grace. But God and His grace does not allow someone to continue to live whatever lifestyle they want continue to be the ruler of their own life. God's grace calls us to what? Submit ourselves to His rulership. 
to humble ourselves and fall before His salvation. Not our own. It's this, it's this ability to have both the knowledge and discernment to be able to then speak to people in ways that are both true and loving. And continuing to love as we seek to proclaim the truth. Which again, then Paul goes on to say, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. That the, the, the life that Paul envisions for the, the, the Philippian believers who are partakers of this grace is that their lives would be filled with fruits of righteousness. I was talking to someone the, the other day about, um, you know, can a, can a person be saved and just continue to live in sin with no fruit? I said, while, um, while I can't say you know, for certainty that anyone is saved or not saved. Um, when Jesus talked about the gospel taking root in the heart, he used the parable of the sower and the seed. And when, and when the sower cast out the seed of the gospel, some parts were like the, the dirt road hard and the seed could not take root and the birds came and ate it and took it away. And other soils... Uh, had uh, weeds in it that as the, the, the gospel seemed to be taking root and be growing, the weeds came and strangled it. All its life was gone. Or there was the rocky soil where as the seed was thrown into the rocky soil and began to spring up, it couldn't really take much root because it was so rocky. And when the sun came out, it scorched it and it withered away and there was no life in it. And then there was the good soil. The good soil, the seed takes root and grows into the plant, and the plants produce fruit, Jesus said. Some tenfold, some fiftyfold, some a hundredfold, but they all produce fruit. Uh, not always to the same degree, but they all produce fruit. And so, you know, that, that was, you know, I went to Jesus to get the answer. I didn't give her the answer. Here's what the Bible says, right? All right, here's the, here's the answer the Bible gives. That true life, gospel taking root, produces fruit. So if there's no fruit, it seems like, again, I can't say 100%, I'm not the one who determines who's saved, but it seems like they're probably in one of these other soil categories. All right, Because the soil category that Jesus gives for those who are His people, who are part of gospel community, are those who produce fruit. But you know, here's the thing, and you can look at those fruit, and, and there's some encouragement by the fact that not everybody's going to always produce the same amount of fruit. And you'll be like, man, they're just like super Christians, and I'm not. But God in His grace causes each plant, the gospel, to take root in the heart and produce fruit. I think what, when we look at the verse 11, it, it makes me think, Paul doesn't want us, though, to ever make an excuse to say, well, I'm just a tin fruit Christian. I'm not one of those hundredfold fruit Christians, but I'm just, just a ten fruit Christian. And what does he say? What is his desire for the, the, those at Philippi who are partakers of grace with him to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? Filled. You may end up being just a ten fruitfold Christian. 
But you should be pursuing to be filled with all the fruit that God would enable you to have. You, you don't know. You don't know how much fruit uh, can be produced in your life. Fruit of righteousness, fruit of gospel overflowing out of you. And so your desire as a Christian should never be to kind of get, get passive in this Christian life. and Think, well, you know what? I've, I've done enough. No, our desire should be to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. How else can I be a demonstration of the gospel and of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in my world today? What's, an, what's another way that I can show His love and show His care to the world around me, to the places God has put me in? Whether it's in your home, listen, you're not in your home to be served. None of us are. We're all there as Christians to serve. How can you Fill up your fruits of righteousness today in your home. And what other spheres of influence are you in? Whatever, whether, whether you, whatever you volunteer for, whatever you participate in, uh, wherever you go, even if it's just eating lunch or whatever, how can you be filling up the fruits of righteousness in your actions and activities in that place? Wherever you're at. You're here right now today. So hopefully you're thinking, okay, here's a place I'm in. Here's the circle of influence God has given me. How can I fill up the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ right here? People around. Maybe you have to take a look. Look who's around you. If you're online, you know, look to the person next to you. Or, you know, if you're if you're watching alone, you might need to pick up your phone and start texting or call somebody. But how can you be filling up this fruit of righteousness? This is, is what God's people should be motivated, should be desiring to do. Why? Because we are partakers of grace that is undeserved, unearned. And we're never meant to get over it. And that is meant to fuel us to love in ways that are beyond our natural abilities to love, beyond our culture's way of loving and love like Jesus Christ. And we're meant to live full of fruits of righteousness. We're meant to live not how we naturally would choose to live and not how our culture tells us to live, but live following the example of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we will live to the glory and praise of God. Leads me to question number three. How do partakers of grace then respond? The answer, members having partaken of God's effective grace partner in gospel ministry. They partner in gospel ministry. Here are people who Paul is confident are, are all partakers of grace with him because he's seen their response. How that they have chosen to live. And that response is described in verse 5 as being a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They were willing to not just connect themselves to the Gospel, but, but live in fellowship in the Gospel. And truly, that partnership could be, could be translated fellowship. And that's where we get the title, the fellowship of living as members of the Gospel community. But 
But sometimes we kind of understand fellowship wrong in some ways. We're like, well, we'll have a we'll have a fellowship meal and we'll just kind of go upstairs and hang out and eat food. And I'm not against that at all. And that's definitely one way our English uses the word fellowship. But that's not necessarily the way fellowship is exactly being used here. And that's why the translators chose the word partnership. That's that kind of it. We're a partner in this mission, which makes me think of things like, and I know this may sound nerdy, but take the fellowship of the ring, right? You know, from Tolkien's book. They're not just sitting around eating food, right? I mean, they do eat, they do eat, you know, but that's not what the fellowship is all about, right? It's not that kind of fellowship. It's a different kind of fellowship. They are this elite team on a mission to take the ring back to the, you know, lava of mortar or whatever. See, I'm not that much of a nerd because I don't know all the names and everything. So, but, I mean, and that's the kind of idea that we have here. Paul's saying, like, we're, we're on this mission. We're the fellowship of the Gospel. And we're meant to take that Gospel through all the trials and through all the terrors to, to each and every soul that we come in contact with. We're meant to give of ourselves. Though it may cost us our freedom. Though we may have to stand against the culture in defense and confirmation of the Gospel. Though we must be loving in such a discerning way that we can only approve which is excellent and our culture may say we're hateful and unloving, yet we still do it. Why? Because we are the fellowship of the Gospel and we are going to fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill. Because we we have partaken of this grace that we just can't get over. So therefore, if it costs us our very breath, we will continue to fulfill this mission. Leads us to number four, connecting to everyday life. First question. Are you a member of gospel community? Are you a member of gospel community? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Have you partaken of God's grace? You see that you are undeserving of His favor. That your sin has separated you from God and you have no means by which to save yourself. By which to pay for your sins. And so you're trusting in Jesus Christ and His work alone. That is God the Father in love sent Jesus Christ His Son so that He might be the atoning sacrifice giving Himself on the cross to pay the ransom, the penalty, the punishment for our sins. Bear God's wrath so that we would not have to. And the call is that we would put our faith and trust in Him turning away from our sin from our own self-righteousness, from our own self-sufficiency, from our own belief in any way that we could in any way save ourselves. Are you a member of Gospel community? If you're not, and you'd like to be, you can turn and trust in Jesus today. Even now. Trust in Him. I'd love to, to speak to you. Uh, if you'd like to connect with me, if you're here in the, the room, you can connect with me afterwards. Or um, there's a... a our uh, contact information is at the end of our 
live streams. You can contact us that way, but we love to talk to you about uh, the gospel and how to be a member of gospel community. Second thing, what can we know about God here? We can see His sovereignty, right? He is over all things, including our salvation. He is the reason we have grace, which means not only is God sovereign, but He is loving. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. The only reason we would get it is because God is motivated by His own love and His own desire to grant it to us. Just good news for us, right? We have a God who is loving and desirous to give grace to people who don't deserve it. How can we enjoy God? Remember how loving He is, how gracious He is. Enjoy God by by putting in front of our faces day in and day out our worthlessness. You say, well, how does that bring me joy? You are utterly detestable. Don't you feel joyous now? Because that highlights the God who is willing to give grace to someone that so didn't deserve it. That's how we enjoy God. By knowing how gloriously great He is compared to how utterly detestable and worthless we are in our sin. And we can enjoy God by understanding that, that, that God in His love poured out grace to us and gave us Jesus Christ. We can enjoy God in the opportunity that we have to live for Him. We have something worth living for. Some people's Fellowship of the Ring journey to Mordor, you know, is nothing more than having more money, having more time to myself entertaining myself more, waiting for an opportunity to you know, Ben's watch the next Netflix, Amazon Prime, Roku, whatever show, whatever pro- platform you use. Like, that's, that's their mission in life. We live for something so much more. That should bring us joy. Last one, how can we glorify God? I we glorify God. Truly abound in love. Truly abound in love. Don't be satisfied with a stagnant Christian life, a plateau in your love for your brothers and sisters, your love for those around you. Pursue abounding in love more and more. As you pursue knowledge, pursue it in order that you might love more and more. Pursue discernment and knowledge so that you might better live for God. It's not about gaining more understanding, but giving yourself greater opportunity to apply that knowledge, to apply that understanding. This brings God great glory when He sees us filling up our lives with the fruit of righteousness. And hopefully you can fill in some of the gaps there because each of us here are individuals and God calls us each in in different ways to love different people, to 
live for him in different ways. You know, uh, we talk about the PRC, and there's many people who volunteer for that. That is one way God calls people to love and serve and fill up their lives with the fruits of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. But that's not the way everyone is meant to. There's other other opportunities to, to volunteer or to serve. And we don't all work in the same place. We don't all go to school in the same place. And we're not rubbing shoulders with the same people, and that's on purpose. God is placing different people in different places that know Him and know His truth so that His glorious name might shine in this community. You're where you're at so that His glorious name might shine. How can you glorify Him? Well, why don't you tell people about this glorious grace that's been given to you? As you show them love, as you, as you speak even hard truths at times in love, you say, here's the reason why. Well, you just hate me. Well, no, I don't hate you at all. Here's, here's why I continue to talk to you. Here's why I continue to want to have a relationship with you. It's because I didn't deserve God's grace, and yet God showed it to me. I'm no different. I'm a sinner. The only difference here is that I've been saved by grace. And that's, that's what I'm presenting to you. Saved by grace. Bring glory to God however you can. I hope that as our uh, theme for this study is living as members of gospel community, that that would be our desire, that we would truly commit to live as members of gospel community. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to hear your truth, see your truth proclaimed, and we pray now that you would give give more grace to us. Lord, it's not... Isn't it gracious enough that you have declared your truth to us? But then as, as beggars coming to you, we say, Lord, but we, we need more grace now because now we've got to try to live it out. There is no limit, no end to your grace. So we pray for it. We might embrace the truths Paul has written here you have given to us and that we might live them out. Knowing you more, enjoying you, glorifying you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.